welcome to another episode of Revolutionary Health, the show that focuses on Black gay men's health and wellness. I'm your host, Michael Ward, and make sure that you check us out on all our social media, Twitter at Building Desire. We're on Facebook and Instagram at The Counter Narrative. This week, we're continuing our COVID-19 series with an awesome panel of doctors that are joining me right here from all different locations in America. So this is going to be an exciting discussion that we'll have uh, for you all here. And I will let everyone introduce themselves, but I'll kick it over to Dr. Mel Branch first. Hey, everybody. Uh, Dr. David Mel Branch, associate professor with Morehouse School of Medicine, currently in upstate New York in a town called Galway. Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Leo Moore. I'm an internal medicine and public health physician based in Los Angeles. I work for LA County Department of Public Health. Happy to be here today. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Quentin Robinson. I'm an infectious diseases physician here in Atlanta, Georgia, I'm working in a private practice. Uh, happy to be here this morning or afternoon. <laughs> well, we are happy to have you here as well on the show of you all. And I just want to start off by doing a basic check-in um, with us all. How are we all feeling? I feel besides good. Being, besides being happy to be here, which is the, the general sentiment that we're all saying as well at this point. <laughs> so I'll, I'll say I feel great because I am post seven day call. And so I have two days off without my phone. So I'm excited about that. Very nice. I feel good because I just got in from a walk. I, I walked for two miles. There's not much to do out here. It's kind of remote and rural. So and it's only 40 something degrees. Um, but I trudged myself out and walked anyway. Because I have to get out of the house in some way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. All right. So sounds like everybody's good. I'm feeling good as well. I did a little bit of yoga this morning, like half an hour. So mm -hmm. I think we're all good. Mm -hmm. Come on with it. Good. Well, we'll just kick this off since you are the last one to talk, Dr. <laughs> Q. Start us off with what is COVID-19? We just want a basic overview. There's so much misinformation and things that are out there that we just want to keep it basic for everyone that's watching. All right, so as the microbiologist infectious disease doctor in the group, COVID-19 stands for coronavirus disease 2019, essentially when we first saw the disease arise out of China. Um, the official name of the actual virus is SARS, S-A-R-S, CoV-2, which essentially is the second SARS-like coronavirus. And coronaviruses are a family of viruses that cause disease and they include multiple viruses that cause the common cold that you know everyone has at least once or twice a year. And it also includes two other viruses that kind of cause these epidemic outbreaks that we've heard about. One is the SARS coronavirus from 2003 that arise, um, arose out of China as well. And then there's MERS coronavirus, which is Middle Eastern Respiratory uh, syndrome virus that arose out of the Middle East around 2012, 2014. So basically, coronavirus is just a family of viruses that tend to cause some type of respiratory disease. Thank you for breaking it down for the people, because a lot mm -hmm. of us are looking at the back of the Lysol can <laughs> and are seeing that it has coronavirus on there, and everybody's just taking that and running with it with so much misinformation and things that are out there. So I definitely appreciate you for breaking that down. But just from somebody who's not in the medical uh, field, you know, I act, I do all of these things, I have these wonderful discussions with you all. What's it like for you all being a doctor in this moment? What things are you hearing? 
what are you experiencing seeing um, out there in the field? Dr. Leo? So I'll say one of the things that I'm hearing and seeing in the field is a lot of fear and a lot of anxiety um, among people in the community. I'm seeing a lot of a lot of concern in my colleagues as well. And I'm, I'm seeing a lot of people actually step up uh, in a way that for me makes me proud to be a physician in this time. You know, people really um, being frontline workers and sacrificing and of course, protecting themselves as much as possible, but, but still really doing the work. Uh, one of my classmates was tested for COVID-19 yesterday after having been exposed. Um, you know, a few um, classmates uh, during my time at Morehouse um, have been quarantined and then come back to work. You know, so to me, seeing the commitment uh, in providers um, is just extremely inspiring. Uh, so that's some of the things that I'm seeing and feeling in this time. Yeah, I, I echo what uh, Dr. Leo's saying. I, you know, I've been working in upstate New York. I've been in upstate New York with family probably for about the better part of the last six months now. And maybe about a month ago, I joined a telehealth platform. And it's really interesting what I'm seeing as a physician interacting with people using telehealth is that it's it's infiltrating everything. So people, if they're having back pain, if they have strep throat or if they have a sinus infection, either they're thinking it's COVID-19 or worried that it's COVID-19, or if they're not, they're scared to go to a clinic or a hospital because they're afraid they're going to actually get COVID-19 from actually being exposed. So it, it's an interesting dynamic right now. And then being able to counsel them, I think one of the hardest things that I've experienced as a clinician and giving advice to people is because this is such a new virus and we're kind of learning things in different days. And I think also because we, we got such a slow start on testing um, and that it's gotten to the point where even though we should be testing more, there are forces at work that are saying that we shouldn't be testing. And I just, I don't understand any of it. Um, but referring people when they have symptoms, they go to a clinic or go to a place and then the person says, oh, well, you just have to go home and then we're, we're going to assume that you have coronavirus. Um, and to me, you know, it's good from a public health perspective that you get people kind of away. They're isolated if they have symptoms consistent with it. But because we don't have enough tests and you're forcing clinicians to kind of determine who is really sick and qualified to get a coronavirus test and who is not, you're missing a lot of the epidemiology. I'm hearing stories from people where patients are dying in hospitals and they know it was coronavirus, but they were never tested. So they're saying, well, we can't say they're dead from coronavirus. So I'm wondering how accurate the case numbers are and how accurate the deaths are. And in my estimation, I think that we're, uh, that we're underestimating all of it. Um, mm -hmm. And I think it's going on a lot, a lot more prevalent than we see. But I, a lot of times I see patients are scared and then when they go to hospitals, they're being turned away. Um, and that's a little bit scary and crazy to me. Yeah, and I, I echo everything everyone else said. I think it's, you know, kind of different for me as well. I kind of, when I thought about it, I, was, I listed like three things. One, it's definitely frightening. Everyone's, you know, afraid of kind of what we hear about, you know, how rapidly the disease progresses, kind of what these poor outcomes are. Um, I also think it's a little bit humbling, you know, it also, you know, as a physician, you know, sometimes people think that we are above illness, so to speak. But, you know, especially out of New York, the number of healthcare providers, you know, nurses, frontline staff that have actually become, 
you know, infected and actually have died from, you know, mm-hmm. COVID-19 or is a discussion that doesn't necessarily occur on top of all the other things that physicians have to worry about in terms of, we talked about physician burnout this year, we talk about just disease process, we talk about, there's so many other burdens that physicians have, yet we're consistently placed on this pedestal. And I think this kind of humbled healthcare providers, you know, we're just as vulnerable. And Mm -hmm. a couple of things, actually for me, as the the nerd in the group, so to speak, it's it's exciting. No, I mean, exciting in that, you know, this is something completely brand new that humans have never seen. So Mm -hmm. we're constantly learning on the go in terms of Mm -hmm. the amount of information that comes out. It does seem like some of the information is contradictory. You know, three weeks ago, we said X, Y, Z, but now we're saying, no, we should do this. And people are like, how do you trust the healthcare profession at this point when we said something a couple of weeks ago, now we've changed our direction. But I always use that to remind people that this is something that humans have never seen. Not that, oh, this is something that Americans haven't seen. The entire human race is susceptible to something brand new. So we're learning something every single day. And the amount of information that comes out is just enormous, difficult to keep up with. Um, Mm -hmm. I literally was checking my email this morning and the Infectious Disease Society of America actually put together some guidelines in Mm -hmm. terms of how to treat. And at this point, everything talks about treatment in the terms of a clinical trial because we don't have any information about what to do. Um, To the the point that David and Leo uh, mentioned as well, um, I actually was quarantined for two weeks. Um, There was a patient who was asymptomatic in our office the same week that I was in the office, and they developed symptoms later on and tested positive. So part of us who were interacting with that particular patient actually Mm -hmm. had to stay at home for two weeks. Um, Mm -hmm. I actually got a test. It is not, (laughs) you know, you know, physicians as patients is a different um, world to be in. The test is Mm -hmm. truly not that comfortable. Mm. So, and you know, and again, had an exposure, tested negative. So after that, we rapidly ramped up telemedicine, like David was saying. So in terms of seeing our patients, and the majority of my patients are living with HIV. So there's this other concern there. Mm. But we did telemedicine and then like Leo, last week was my week in the office. So we're rotating mm. physicians and staff in the office on a weekly mm-hmm. basis while everyone else works remotely. So we're actually, I think, doing a fantastic job in keeping our patients who are living with HIV kind of in the loop and keeping them connected to their healthcare, which I think is important. But there's just so much going on. And I think mm-hmm. what we don't talk a lot about are kind of the asymptomatic and the mild to moderate cases of uh, COVID-19. You know, we definitely talk about those severe hospitalized cases, but, you know, we're only really hospitalizing 20% of those that are testing positive. So, you know, kind of the silver lining is that 80% or so of people who test positive or are having, you know, COVID-19 actually have a very mild to moderate self-limited disease course. It may feel like an extended cold or an extended flu, even though I hesitate to use the word flu, not to Mm -hmm. confuse people. But yeah, you have a cold that lasts a little bit longer than the 
the usual th week to two weeks, where it's three to six weeks and you have this high fever. But we don't mm -hmm. talk a lot about those mild cases of people who actually recover at home. And I think that's important to kind of talk about as well. I like to echo that sentiment because I think that is something that's not even being shared enough in the news and that it's perpetuating fear in the community and in society, that we're not talking enough about the people who are actually recovering from COVID-19 and re-entering society. Every day you're seeing stories about people who are being diagnosed. You're seeing stories about the lack of ventilators and the lack of beds and ICUs, um, but you're not seeing the stories about people who are recovering, who, and also a big part of it is because many of them aren't being tested as Dr. David you know, mentioned, they're not being tested, they're recovering at home. Um, but still, there's data that, that has come out of China that shows, you know, that 80% of the people recovered and, and have uh, returned to society. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I just wanted to add on, Quentin, when you mentioned the test, because I haven't been tested, I don't know if Dr. Leo or Michael, if you've been tested, but can you describe to the people <laughs> What? Because we people think it's just putting a swab in your nose. I, I think you need to break down to folks who are watching what exactly that test is because it is not comfortable at all. Right. And so mm -hmm. I will say, you know, one, there are definitely different variations of the test coming out. But at the very beginning, since I got tested maybe the third week or so in March, it's a thin, flexible cotton swab that you insert into your nose but it doesn't necessarily, you know, if you have your, your regular Q-tip that you use to kind of clean your ear or clean your nose, it's a little bit longer than that, thinner, extremely flexible, and you literally put it into your nostril and you put it as far back as possible so it almost feels like it's in your throat. Mm -hmm. And while it's there, you, it, it's actually a, a little bit longer than a few seconds because as you're pushing it back into the nose, you're actually rotating and twisting the cotton swab as well until it literally feels like it's in the back of your throat. And then you kind of do the same thing as you pull it out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'll look at Michael. Because it's different. And I appreciate you for, for asking that question as well, Dr. David, because I've seen the photo of it and I'm one of those people where I'm like, no, I don't, I don't even want to go any deeper into what all of this process entails. So th like, thank you for sharing. Like, this is, <laughs> my face is real. I don't want to experience that. But I, I thank you all for, for letting people know that we're all in this and the data and the information as it comes out, we're all learning at the same time, even as this taping. You know, things could change as soon as we finish this filming. So I just, I pray that people are patient with their doctors, with anyone in the medical profession, because as you said, you know, I always look at physicians and doctors as super superheroes, but you all aren't superhumans, you know, in that aspect. So I want people to realize that and be compassionate and patient as well with you all and that you all are being safe out there. Uh, one of the things that I um, want to speak to as well about the recovery is that I know with social media, it's a very powerful platform with people telling their stories about recovering uh, from coronavirus. Recently, I know Babyface um, said that him and his family had tested positive as well and are recovering. So a lot of those stories I've been seeing maybe through Twitter, social media, and I know you all use your platforms in amazing ways, and you, you all have done a lot of these um, town halls, but specifically addressing uh, myself as a Black gay man who is working from home, hasn't been outside in six to seven days. Like, what should I know specifically and other Black gay men uh, that are out there about COVID-19, keeping ourselves safe, 
in all of those things and protecting ourselves. Dr. Leo, I think you should start with that because Dr. Leo has been putting out some really good information on social media, not on not focusing on pathology, but focusing on wellness. So um, I have some things I want to say because I I got a couple questions from some brothers the other day that I think is very specific to a lot of black gay men. Um, but Leo, if you could take that one, because I know you've been doing a lot of good work with this. Uh, sure, sure. So I think one of the first things we can do is think about what we're consuming, what we're eating, right? I've seen a lot of people talking about eating all their survival snacks while they're at home. Uh, well, I think the first thing that we have to think about is what we put into that grocery cart, since we're mostly going to the grocery stores for food these days, what we put in that cart is what we're going to end up eating. Uh, so really being smart about what we're what we're buying. Uh, also thinking about uh, different vitamins that we can incorporate into our diet if we're not regularly consuming them, like vitamin C, vitamin D. Um, I shared recently that 1,000 milligrams of uh, vitamin C a day can uh, decrease the risk of colds and decrease the uh, length of pneumonia. Uh, so taking that vitamin C daily or eating tangerines or oranges. Some people have, have shared with me they couldn't find emergency. You can always um, eat citrus fruits. Uh, and in a lot of the grocery stores I've been in, I've seen citrus fruits there. Um, so being able to eat citrus fruits. Uh, I think also ensuring that people know that you can still get a workout in even during this time. Uh, so if you're going out and walking, um, you know, at least here in LA, uh, they're saying that you only need a mask when you're going inside public places and that you don't need it outside. But if it makes you more comfortable to wear a face covering while you're running or while you're walking, um, you can do that, but you need to get out and be active. Um, I know a lot of us are working all day. Uh, so even in between uh, working, you could you know, get up and take a quick walk on your lunch break or, you know, in the mornings I get up and do push-ups. You know, there are things that you can do in your home also to stay active if you're not comfortable going outside. Um, you know, I think with all the changes to our messaging, because it's an outbreak, we're learning a lot every day. Um, the concern for a lot of folks is, is this airborne and is this not? And I think that that is driving a lot of folks to stay in their homes and fearful uh, so, you know, we don't think that it's airborne, but we do know that it can linger in the air in areas where a person has coughed or sneezed. So if it makes you more comfortable to wear that mask, as I mentioned, just wear the mask, you know, but still get up, get out and move. Yeah, I, I agree with everything that Leo's saying. And what's interesting is that, um, you know, if anyone watched, I, I try not to watch the, the daily uh, federal briefings, the White House briefings. I really not because my head feels no, like it's going to explode. But Yesterday, I'm when, good when the Surgeon General was on there, he, in my opinion, he made a lot of uh, faux pas in there. And, and he was saying stuff like, you know, do it for your pop-pop, do it oh, for, yes. you know, Big Mama. He was doing all that stuff. But he, again, the, the focus was on individual level things that we as Black people are supposed to be doing. And he wasn't really acknowledging how the underlying, you know, social and structural disparities, when you drop coronavirus in that. That's why it's exploding. And so someone uh, tweeted the other day and they said, you know, they were disappointed with the Surgeon General, what he said, because they were like, when white people deal with an epidemic, um, they're given public health initiatives. When black people are dealing with an epidemic, we're told what we have to do to do better. And we're told it's our fault. And so mm -hmm. while I do think I, mm -hmm. I agree and I endorse everything that Leo was saying, I want people to to be reminded that 
there are things that are putting us at disproportionate risk that are out of your control. And that's why mm -hmm. it's important for us to maximize what we can. But I don't want people to think that it's all about what, what we're doing because there are things that are set up that put us at disadvantages. The other thing that I'll say is that Mm -hmm. For black gay men specifically, Michael, and what you were asking about, I've been getting a lot of texts, um, and I'd have discussions with Kenyon Farrow, who works with TheBody.com, weeks ago about studies that were coming out showing that, you know, coronavirus is detected in feces. And Dr. Q, you can tell us, you know, a lot of viruses are shed in feces, so we know that. But mm -hmm. of course, as black gay men, we're thinking, what does this mean for, you know, tossing somebody's salad? What does this mean about, you know, oral anal sex or um, anal sex in general? What does this mean for us? And then I got a friend who texted me this morning and asked, hey, I have a question for you. What if uh, a partner was having sex with someone else and he was the bottom? but the top had already had coronavirus, had COVID-19 and recovered. Can, if he comes inside him, can he transmit his antibodies and protect the bottom? And I said, I, I said, no, that's not how it works because your mm -hmm. body has to produce the antibodies or you get vaccinated for it. But mm -hmm. what's interesting about that question is that it's not it's not based out of ignorance or it's not a stupid question in my book because people are starting to think about that because they're also correlating it with HIV. Like mm -hmm. if someone comes inside somebody else and they're HIV positive, their virus gets inside somebody, they turn positive. Is there some kind of protection that can happen? And I had to explain to him, that's not how it works, that someone can't confer their own immunity onto you. You mm -hmm. have to actually be exposed or probably in 2021, we'll have a vaccine and then you have to be injected, then your your body's immune system produces the whole thing. But these are the kind of questions that I think mm -hmm. a lot of brothers have out there that are asking, in addition to the ones that Leo always answers with what can we do to really keep ourselves healthy? I think a lot of us are concerned mm -hmm. about these kind of things. And I'll, I'll throw it to Dr. Q because the fact of the matter is we don't know. And I feel so bad because people get mm -hmm. mad at the CDC. We have, our communities have justifiable distrust in medicine mm -hmm. and public health because we've been lied, we've exper been experimented on, all this mm -hmm. stuff has happened in the past. So when the CDC says something two weeks ago, don't wear masks, and then all of a sudden they're saying, yeah, you need to wear masks, and then LA and New York are saying you have to wear masks, and people are getting kicked out of stores and mm -hmm. pushed away from stores if they're not wearing masks, folks are getting really, really confused about that. It's a lot mm -hmm. of information to take in. Mm -hmm. So it, it is just mm -hmm. difficult. I think with that amount of information, I think I always kind of resort to the fact on an individual level of having discussions with individuals in that this informa information changes so frequently on an hour to hour basis. You know, what some people feel worked, you know, two hours ago in China, someone just released a preprint of a paper that says this is completely different and don't do that. So I think, mm -hmm. you know, it's an individual level conversation, but when you're looking at communities, uh, it's hard to really put that information out there when you talk about mistrust and distrust of, you know, public health entities in terms of kind of what has happened in the past. So, you know, I can't come up with a community-wide, hey, this is what a community should do. I always tell people, think about it on an individual level. And when you think about it on an individual level, what would you want someone else to do to protect you? Because we know what we can do to protect ourselves right. and not necessarily, you know, mm -hmm. transmit something to someone else. But what would you like to see someone else do? So if you would like to see someone else wear a mask in public, maybe you should consider wearing a mask in public as well.
then if everyone as a collective starts to think like how can I protect other people as well as protecting myself I think that's kind of how you get to that community level and I think that's kind of what the CDC and the Surgeon General was trying to convey with this you know voluntary recommendation of face coverings mm-hmm. I just think it got lost in translation you know right. the overall you know the underlying cause was good like the CDC wanted to do something good for people but I think it just got lost in the conversation and you know talking about those you know uh, entities you know I always tell David and Leo when we talk that as much as people distrust the CDC you know the current director trained me so you know Dr. Redfield was one of the doctors that taught me what I know about HIV so from a science perspective, I, I totally have faith in him. And Tony Fauci, you know, I don't like the fact that he's kind of become this face of everything, but he's always been straightforward, consistent, and direct, and, you know, the opportunities I've had to meet him. But a friend of mine who works for the CDC, we had a conversation the other day. He was saying that a lot of times those persons who are in those positions, in those healthcare leadership positions, have to weigh personal, private, and public health relationships. It's like, how can I get this information out in the, in the need for public health, but also kind of stay in line with the current you know, political construct? So I will say, give them a hard time, but don't completely write them off as being you know, ingenuine or disingenuine in, in giving out false information. I think everyone who's working on the science and public health background has the entire, you know, American people's best interests at heart. I'd just like to add quickly um, that, you know, we're in unprecedented times for Americans, period. We've not really had to deal with outbreaks in the ways that other countries have. You know, we didn't really deal with Ebola um, and some of the other viruses. So we're in a place where everyone is having to uh, take measures that we've never had to take before um, and having to take count of all of what they're seeing in the media in a way that they really didn't have to say, oh, that epidemic's over there, you know? Mm -hmm. And for so long, we were saying about coronavirus, oh, it's over in China. I mean, we're good, right? You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what was going on, like, uh, business as usual. And then all of a sudden, it's in our backyard, you know, and then all of a sudden, it's someone that we know who's been exposed, et cetera. So I think that people are still reeling from all of that change and from also not ever really having to deal with, with an epidemic and an outbreak in such a way. Thank you for chiming in and thank you for everyone for being here today um, and for sharing your knowledge and spending your time um, with us. I just want to say any last words, anything else that you uh, want the people to know before, before we wrap it up. There was something I had on my mind, but I, I think, um, you know, we've said a lot of stuff today. I think we should be doing updates uh, on revolutionary health about COVID-19 and coronavirus because the information is evolving like this. So exactly what you know, Q and Leo have been saying, we need to kind of keep moving forward with this. I think for Black gay men, we just have to follow some of the advice that Leo gives, but then also push a public health agenda and work within our communities. What I would have liked to see the Surgeon General say yesterday was, 
well, we have a lot of disparities in black and brown communities. What can we do in the federal government to help you guys with either providing personal protective equipment mm -hmm. to the local hospitals and clinics to increasing mm -hmm. testing? What can mm -hmm. we do for you guys from a social structural level instead of just saying, don't smoke and don't do drugs, mm -hmm. which he seemed to bring up when he was talking about black and brown people. And I was like, dude, Every, and I was glad, uh, who was it, Yamichi, who's one of the, the PBS journalists, she always brings mm -hmm. the noise. And she mm -hmm. said, don't you want to say don't smoke and don't do drugs to everybody? And he backpedaled. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, so he's like, yeah, everybody should not be smoking, not be drinking and not doing drugs. And I said, that's good. But I, I want to encourage everybody out there. The CDC is a good source, and I always refer people to cdc.gov because it has a good website with a lot of good information. Thebody.com, pause.com, um, I believe the nih.gov, uh, nih.aids.gov is a good resource as well. So these are scientific resources, and if they're not, if they're journalistic, the journals are going to the scientific resources to consolidate it for you. So. Don't get distracted by all the political noise out there. Focus on what you can learn from the science. Do what you can on an individual level, and then ask your local politicians, community-based organizations, and organizers to do a little bit more for your communities, because that's how we'll get through this together. Right, thank you so much for that. And as well, thank you, Dr. Q, Dr. Leo, uh, Dr. David, for joining us here. And I implore everyone out there as well that's watching to follow uh, your yeah, Dr. Leo. Leo, I, 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 I see you. I got you. I just have one more thing that I have to share. Because yes. Al, Alvin's trying to get us to wrap up. We need to hear from Dr. Leo. Come on, Leo. Come on. <laughs> I just think it's important during this time for people to be kind to themselves and be kind to others. And I just want to make sure that, that people are aware that, you know, because we're in unprecedented times, you may be grieving the fact that you're having to stay at home. You may be grieving the, me the measures and how restrictive things are and that there are resources for you. Um, so if you're looking for a therapist, there are still therapists who are seeing people online. You can go to beam.org, beam, B-E-A-M.org, or excuse me, beam.community. Go to beam.community. Uh, and you can search for a therapist. Therapists are very much still seeing people online if you need one. Um, and also make sure that you continue to have conversations with friends and family on Zoom or on whatever other platforms you can use. We're going away from calling it social distancing to calling it physical distancing. We want you to keep your physical distance, but we want you still to socialize. Remember, you need to check in with people regularly. Let them know that you're okay and make sure they're okay. So that's the last thing that I wanted to say, um, but I want everyone to just be well. And I'm looking forward to our next update together. Yes, thank you for sliding that in at the last minute. That was much needed and appreciated. I um, mean, as well too, we do, we have other episodes out there um, talking about COVID-19. And this is a conversation that we're gonna continue to have as we learn and as of this taping, as I said, with this information. So I implore you all out there to follow Dr. Leo, Dr. Q, Dr. David. They have incredible information and in all of the resources that were named on this episode as well. We'd love to hear from you. So comment below, like, subscribe, tell a friend to tell a friend, practice that physical distancing, but not the social distancing. So follow us on Twitter at Building Desire, Facebook and Instagram at The Counter Narrative. And as well as Dr. Leo said, be kind to yourself, be good to yourself as well. So be safe, y'all.